we can conceptualize social media as a relationship because if we think about it, we're all in some type of relationship with social media. The question is, what kind of relationship? Is it a healthy relationship? Some of us have a very long distance relationship with social media. Some of us have a do not call, stay away from me relationship with social media, while others have a an enmeshed relationship with social media. Too close. It's not really healthy. It's not really helpful. I can't distance myself from social media. In today's episode, I am joined with my co-host, Dr. Andy Santanello, and we talk about these things. We talk about the pros and cons, costs, benefits of social media, and we ask ourselves, what kind of relationship do we have with social media? Is it the one that we want? For a lot of us during COVID right now, our relationship with social media may have been affected, may have cha- may have changed in some way for the positive or the negative. So we explore these things together in this episode. We hope you enjoy, and if you do, please subscribe. This is Mental Filter. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Mental Filter, where we talk about anything and everything all through the lens of mental health with some mental health professionals and other cool people. My name is Shmuel Fischler. I am a licensed clinical social worker. I own and run a specialized practice just north of Baltimore called CBT Baltimore. And before we get into our topic of the day, I will allow my co-host, Andy Santanello, to introduce himself. Andy? Hey, I'm Andy Santanello, clinical psychologist, owner of Santanello Psychological Services in Mount Washington, Baltimore. Happy to be back, Shmuel. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for coming back. So it's good to be chatting again, and we're just going to have a conversation today, and we hope that people listen and people enjoy. So today's topic is a a timely one, and it's an interesting one all the time, and that is social media. There's so many different components of social media about specific different types of social media, the benefits, and with lots, as it is with lots of things, there is a cost benefit to things, and social media is no different than anything else. We're going to just have a chat about what it looks like, what it does to people, what we can gain from it, and perhaps what's a helpful way of using social media. Let's just start off with, I can share myself, and then I'll ask for you sort of like how you use social media. So I, social media that I use, I use it for the practice and I use it personally. I I think I have a healthy relationship with it, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, we all, we all think we do. I use it. There's just tons of social media. So, but I use for the, for work and professional, I use a lot of LinkedIn and I use Facebook and I use Twitter and I've been using Instagram more and I'm sure people out there know all the differences and there's more platforms than that. I, I use that a lot for mostly for the business. And then I use some of it personally to connect, but I, I keep a, a pretty minimal low profile uh, on social media personally. How about yourself? Well, you know, I used to be a, a fairly, fairly avid consumer of social media. I was on Facebook for many years, but about a year ago, I'd quit Facebook altogether, deleted my, my profile. And I still have a, a LinkedIn profile, which I rarely look at. There's another social network, I think it's called um, Nextdoor. So it's sort of a community-based thing that I'm on. And occasionally I'll go on there and, you know, ask for recommendations for 
different people to work on the house, that type of thing. But I actually have a fairly light involvement with social media at this point. So I've seen, it's interesting you say that. So I've seen people take breaks Hmm. And it seems like there's like a incremental buildup for people in social media where all of a sudden they come to this realization that it's, it's too much, it's not healthy, it's affecting me. And we'll talk about what some of those effects might be. And then they, okay, I'll see I'm taking a break, hiatus, and then they come back. So uh, if you're okay sharing from your own experience, what led to sure. quitting Facebook, as you said? Yeah, well, so I, I, you know, I took a couple of those breaks that you mentioned and I guess what I just started to notice is that I was spending more time kind of just scrolling on my phone with Facebook as a habit and not really as a way to sort of connect with people or get meaningful information. And it kind of just became this thing I did out of, you know, basically habit. Also, what I noticed is that there, my relationships with people in person were a lot different actually than my relationships with the same people online. <laughs> so I, I just kind of noticing the disparity between the two and realizing that I actually really preferred my relationships with people in person. And in fact, some of the ways that people behaved online were starting to make me kind of dislike the people I actually really did like in person. I thought this is not a healthy, good thing for me. So I decided that, uh, you know, I would, I would just kind of take a longer break and that longer break just turned into, I'm going to get off Facebook altogether. Right. Thank you for sharing that. There's a lot in what you just said. And we'll, we'll try to unpack a, a whole bunch of that uh, for people. One can argue that social media has changed the world. Mm-hmm. Not just, you know, technology has changed the world, but social media it has changed the world in how we communicate, how business is done. There, it, it's a little bit of a catch-22 because it becomes harder and harder to reach people and bring in business. I'm sure plenty of people who are listening have their own businesses or work somewhere. Now, now especially where when our grandkids listen to this, we're gonna they're gonna have to they're gonna have to Google or whatever the future Google is gonna be. Look up Corona and COVID nineteen to see what kind of era we're living in. But certainly now we've more more dependent on online platforms and things like that. But one can definitely argue that it's, it's changed the world and it's, it's a little bit difficult if someone did want to stay away from social media. And I know plenty of people that do, uh, whether it's for personal reasons or whether it's uh, for some it's who come from certain religious communities who want to stick to, stick to things that are real in their life and uh, stay away from you know, the internet and things like that. But it becomes really hard because so much of the world is now dependent on using these platforms to do business and connect. Mm. I think that's really true. I, so let me just qualify. I do still, I'm a pretty heavy user of the internet and other ways of connecting via the internet. It's just more of the cell phone based apps that I don't use. And it's, so being in the, the mental health profession, I've always been a little bit ambivalent about using social media as a way of kind of doing business just because of boundary issues, but also for me, at least I felt like I needed to, if I was ever going to do that, I'd need to be really, really careful and confident about the content that I'm putting out there because by nature, take something like, like Twitter, you only have, you know, maybe a, a couple of sentences to express an idea. And often the kind of ideas that I want to talk with somebody about in therapy, A, should really be in context and if you're just kind of putting a couple of sentences out there into the, you know, in, onto Twitter, they're not in context. And, and B, 
sometimes those ideas are a little bit more complex than what I can express succinctly in a couple of sentences. So I, I think on the one hand, it's a really good way to reach a lot of people pretty easily. And it's, you know, the way most people are connecting these days. But on the other hand, I think there's some riskiness involved in it, if that makes sense. Couldn't agree more. Again, there's back to the cost benefit. And mm-hmm. let's, let's try to sort of go through some things and put them in, in the buckets of, well, this might be a benefit, this might be a cost, and there's a spectrum to that. And everyone out there has to make their own decisions as to how engaged they want to be. So to clarify for everyone, Andy is not relying on smoke signals. He is, <laughs> he's, he, I did. It doesn't, doesn't work. Not very, yeah. not good at it. <laughs> Uh, or Morse code or anything like that. <laughs> no, I do use Morse code a fair amount oh, okay. and carrier pigeons. <laughs> I was wondering why there was so much poop on my phone. On. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's another reason. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we'll go through a couple of things and put them in, in one of the buckets, but I'm curious what you think, why this may be. And you, you, you alluded to this is that there are, we almost have two different personas Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I remember once seeing. I remember once seeing a, a comic, and the image was a uh, more slight boy looking up to this Hulk of a a young man, and it was like Timmy finally met the person he was talking to on Twitter in real life, and it was like you know we talk big a big game on social media on on Twitter or whatever it is, and then he met is the person he was talking to in real life and now was whimpering in a corner. And, you know, I guess you have to have been there. <laughs> it, it just, the image is that we have, some of us have this like completely different persona. Well, people will say things. The filter is like gone. They'll yeah. be aggressive or they'll share certain things that they would, wouldn't share in real life. It could be aggressive. It could be just personal information. There's so many. So what's your take on, the different personas that we have virtually versus what is it? IRL in real life. Right. Well, I mean, there's a couple of different things in there and I've got my ideas about it and I don't know if this is true with a capital T, but my sense is that the persona thing is related to a couple of issues. One is just the way that these social media platforms are set up. They're designed to, work on intermittent reinforcement, the same kind of reinforcement schedule that slot machines work on. And uh, so they're meant to be scrolled and scrolled and scrolled and scrolled. And the developers of these apps and these platforms want you to stay on them as long as possible. So what you want to do is, is promote users uh, putting more interesting, eye-catching, you know, sort of clickbait-worthy images and stuff on sort of their Twitter or their Instagram or whatever. And so it just encourages the community to, to do more of those things. I also think that, especially for kids these days, uh, I feel so old saying that, <laughs> you know. We can, but, edit, we can edit that out if you want, kids <laughs> these days. <laughs> ah, keep it in, that's right. And not just kids, but like, you know, people in general, who you are online becomes such a huge part of just who you think you are. And so there's this idea of, I think there's always been and will always be this idea that you have to curate your image, you know, in certain situations and play different roles in different contexts. But this really pulls for that. So the other thing I think might potentially be going on here is that um, you mentioned the, the no, no filter uh, and just kind of saying what's on your mind. 
although there is kind of this idea that you're more connected with the people around you, interacting with comments on, a, on an app is a much less intimate form of communication than saying something to somebody's face. So I think it in some ways, maybe this is too strong a word, but kind of dehumanizes these interactions. You're really not, you know, if you're making a, a comment, a crappy comment about somebody or something, you're not really thinking of the human being who made, who you're kind of making that comment about. You're, you're sort of thinking about this object or image that you've created in your mind based on that comment. And so unfortunately, words hurt. So you can wind up saying horrible, mean things that actually do affect the person behind, you know, sort of that image, but you're doing it because potentially you've kind of lost that sense of like, you're actually communicating about another human being. That's a, that's a great observation. And I remember reading an article that some of the creators in Silicon Valley, if you look at their families, they actually keep their kids away from this hmm. well that's telling what does that say that says yeah. that they know that there's people behind it psychologists probably who are involved in okay how could we maximize engagement and how could we keep people engaged for as long as possible and not to be all conspiracy theory on everyone but do they do whose whose interests do they have in mind do they have in mind the interest of the user or do they have in mind of making this the most engaging platform where you cannot get away? So on that note, I think it's worthy to take a minute and talk about, you mentioned keeping someone engaged enough where they come back and they keep on scrolling and keep on scrolling. What does that do neurologically? I know people throw around the word addiction a whole lot and there, I, there certainly is addiction and an addiction for for everyone out there addiction is not just a physical addiction someone can have a physical addiction to a substance where there's physical withdrawal symptoms if they don't have that substance that's certainly true and then there are things that whether it's a substance or a process there could be a process oriented addiction where we're engaged in something that releases chemicals in the brain and it becomes addicting almost like psychologically addicting because where it's constantly being reinforced. So maybe talk about, talk to that for, for a moment is what does it do neurologically the more we engage in something like that? I think that, you know, addiction is sort of a loaded word. The way I think about it is, you know, human beings are creature, creatures of habit. And when something is reinforcing, like when you're scrolling through your feed and you find something that's new or interesting, sometimes just novelty is all it takes, just something new you know, we like to sort of explore and be exposed to new things. You have that enough and the pattern of scrolling, it's reinforced over and over again. And then when you're going back, you go back on your feed and you don't see something that's immediately interesting, you're going to keep scrolling to find that ne next interesting thing, which eventually will come and it just resets the whole pattern. And then what happens over time is you've got this habit. And this works like probably any other habit. Uh, good ones and bad ones. When you stop engaging it for a little bit, there's kind of this urge, the sense of something's not quite right. And then that, that sense goes away when you re-engage in the habit and the behavior. So if you think about what's probably happening for most people when they are 
at stoplights or they have a moment of time where they're, they're, not, they're not, not occupied by something. You know, there's that sense of unease, like maybe I should be distracted right now. Maybe I'm missing something on Facebook and then you just pull out your phone and immediately that sense of unease goes away. And then if you find something slightly interesting, it just reinforces the whole pattern. And so we get so used to, we get so habituated to getting that that momentary either relief or pleasure from being able to see something that's stimulating or interesting and occupies a brain. And then we become more and more and more used to it. And I feel, I feel obligated almost to connect it to the days that we're living in now that we're in the middle of this uh, coronavirus situation where the majority of people are stuck at home and doing telework or unfortunately not working at all. And they have a lot of time to be on social media and mm-hmm. to check things. And mm-hmm. certainly everyone has a heightened sense of anxiety now to the point you were just talking about of getting some sort of reassurance or relief when you're checking something. So people are on different messaging apps or social media and getting updates. And it's like, oh, it's been a whole 30 seconds since I got updates, right? <laughs> right? And, and there is like a reassurance seeking of getting the next update or what's going on and what's going on and what's going on. And the problem is, or the challenge is, is that it works briefly. It works in the interim, but then I still have to continue doing it in order to get that reassurance. And then if I try to stop, it's going to be, my tolerance for that is, is going to go down and it's going to be much more uncomfortable. Well, since you mentioned coronavirus and the things that are going on now, I think when you throw fear and uncertainty into the mix, you know, it becomes even harder to resist. As you were saying, you know, we are constantly looking for updates nowadays of what's happening with coronavirus. Is there a cure? When is it going to end? How many people got sick? How many people are dying? What's happened in the next 10 minutes? And unfortunately, you know, the media and also these social networking platforms are taking advantage of that. So on the one hand, it's good to keep us all informed, but on the other hand, there is sort of this playing into, well, let's keep feeding little bits of information, even when there is no information, to keep people engaged and watching and utilizing. And by the way, we're also going to throw in uh, between you know, you know our broadcast lots of advertisements and stuff, you know, because people are at home now, and it's easier than ever to just click a button and buy something. So... I mean, maybe I'm really cynical about this, but, you know, I think that one, and I think we're probably going to get to this soon, but one of the things I think for people just to be aware of is when they are using social media because they want to, because it's something they want to do or to get specific information, and when they're doing it sort of out of, out of habit or as a way, like you were saying, to reassure themselves and really, you know, they checked their feed two seconds ago is there really going to be that next big piece of information now or is it okay to sort of wait for a little bit and, you know, take a break and do something else? Right. Right. Agreed. And I want to actually make sure that we spend some time and not be all doom and gloom about, (laughs) you know, about social media because there's two sides to every coin. I do want to revisit something you just said a couple minutes ago about, I think you used the word dehumanizing a little bit. And I remember there's a movie that came, I didn't actually see it, so I can't really speak to it, but there's a movie called Her that came out a couple of years ago. I think it was with uh, Joaquin Phoenix. It was about a man who had a relationship with the equivalent of what we know as Siri. And, and there's a book that I have, I think it's called uh, Together Alone or Alone Together by an MIT professor about 
the relationship we have with technology and the future of what's going to happen and prediction of relationships with uh, robots and things like that, which may have sounded completely, completely <laughs> off the wall a couple of years ago, but the more things change, it, it's not, doesn't sound like it's out of the realm of possibility. And so, but I want to revisit it because I think it, it takes away our tolerance for a level of vulnerability. Mm. When you talk, mm-hmm. when I have, when I have to look someone in the face and say something and talk to them, it's, there's a vulnerability there. Even if it's not something that's so intimate, there's, there is a vulnerability. A lot of people now, and I'm guilty of this at times also, it's a lot easier to just text someone or message mm-hmm. someone mm-hmm. than pick up the phone and call or mm-hmm. speak to them in person. So there's, the, again, this reinforces this lower tolerance of vulnerability, of intimacy, of communicating on a real human level. And not to say that that's all bad, but if there's no balance to it, there's no yin to the yang or yang to the ying, whichever way you want to go, then it's harder and harder to communicate and engage. And there's more of a distance between one another. Now, I want to... I want to hear what you have to say, but I also want to make sure that we get to some positives and benefits of social media. Well, yeah. So maybe I can comment on that and and steer us in the direction of something positive. So as you were talking, I was thinking about Brene Brown's work. Are you familiar with her? She does a lot of work. Okay, great. What you said about vulnerability and intimacy, they're really two sides of the same coin. So it's easier to text somebody because you don't feel vulnerable, but you also don't get the payoff of the closeness that you feel when you talk to somebody in person. I think that the the risk of doing too much of that and not doing enough of the actual in-person communication or even you know telephone calls or more of the personal types of communication is that relationships become overly transactional you know it's more about uh you interact with somebody for what they can do for you or what you can do for them and it's less about connecting as human beings so to sort of move us maybe in a more positive direction i think that that's sort of the dark side of it the light side of it is that it is much easier to connect with people than it has been ever before. So case in point, you know, with having to do all the social distancing and and self-isolation and quarantining, I think a lot of people are starting to use different different methods of communicating over uh, telemedicine, telehealth, and video conferencing. I know that we were just talking before this call about how a lot of the work we're doing in therapy is actually being done online now. And I know that certainly in the last couple of weeks, I've been connecting with people maybe I haven't talked to or seen in a while, except for text over video conferencing. And so uh, even with my, my Zen group, my meditation group, we're not going to be able to meet in person for a long time. Turns out sitting right next to somebody on a cushion and breathing deeply is not great for stopping the spread of coronavirus. <laughs> um, so we're trying to figure out how to do, how to meet. And so we just started, a, uh, and a lot of groups are doing this, we started a, a meditation group online where we get to meet and see each other's faces and, and sit in silence and meditate together. So without this technology, if this happened five, 10 years ago, I think everyone would be feeling so much less connected than they are now. No question. The breadth and the reach of social media is tremendous. The world is much smaller now and you can connect so much further with so many different people. And it could be a really, really beautiful thing, even if we're each stuck in our own home. So you're right that there is a tremendous amount of opportunity 
to connect. And some of the benefits that I've seen, you know, personally and with people that I work with is some of the crowdsourcing. You could put something out there on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and we can certainly talk about what kind of image and what's real and what's genuine and different personas like you mentioned before. But that aside, you can put something out there and you can crowdsource. You can get information so quickly. I need help with this. Anyone have any ideas? And boom, you can get an answer within seconds or minutes, which is beautiful, which is very helpful for people, someone, a neighbor who's elderly now and needs food and they can't go out because they're scared to go out to get food or someone who's got anxiety and they're stuck. There's so much that so much opportunity that it gives. There's so many classes and religious services now that are done through online platforms and getting up to date and news and help just just so much helping and connecting and raising funds for people that is done out there. So it's important to recognize the benefits and, and the beauty and the support that is out there because of social media. Some of the people with anxiety, it's actually a breeding ground to be able to, to work on social anxiety, hmm. right? So for some people who have social anxiety, even to post a picture or to post a comment hmm. or to post an opinion is really, really difficult because there is a certain exposure there of sharing, you know, what am I thinking or what my status is? Are people going to judge me? It's so it's interesting that the same negative thing that we were talking about, people being extremely judgmental on social media, you can post something on Twitter and get like destroyed within minutes and spreads like wildfire. At the same time, we can use that same exact thing as an opportunity for an exposure for someone who has social anxiety to just share an opinion or a post with the risk that, oh no, maybe I'm going to be destroyed online by putting an emo a smiley emoji face. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's interesting. It's a, it, there, there are opportunities for sure. So uh, Ian, it's important to, I think it's important to, to recognize that. Why do you think it is? And I've noticed this probably most with Twitter versus Facebook. So Facebook has a lot of groups, I think, which are nice that you're able to connect professionally and personally. And there's neighborhood groups, like you mentioned on Twitter, I think is the most trolling that uh, that I've heard of and especially when it comes to politics or lightning rods of of topics why is it and I don't know if there's an exact answer why is it that when someone shares an opinion I, I just feel like it's a very black and white world you're mm -hmm. either on one side or you're on the other side there's no gray there's no room for nuance you mentioned all the way in the beginning that it's hard to take things in context, you only have a certain amount of words and, and letters that you can, characters that you can put out on, on Twitter. And there's really no room for real dialogue or gray or nuance. And it's either you're with us or you're against us. I mentioned politics, but it could really be anything. Any ideas of why it's become so polarized when, and I just, it's an anecdotal observation specifically with Twitter. Instagram is more visual and pictures and Facebook is not as aggressive, I think. The answer is I don't 100% know, but, you know, I think that just having the option to like something or to retweet something uh, or to hashtag something it sort of taps into this kind of deep need we have for validation. And so the validation becomes more important than necessarily the idea. So 
what becomes reinforcing and true, so to speak, becomes the thing that you get validated for. And then you can start to adopt beliefs and ideas and stances really strongly because they get incorporated into this idea of who you are, this sort of self-concept that you have. And that's a whole lot easier than sitting down and having a discussion about something that's really nuanced and complicated, like uh, healthcare or politics or religion or, you know, the sort of vital parts of our lives. And I don't think these platforms are really set up to really encourage that type of dialogue. It's more about, do I like it or do I know, do I not like it? It's almost like we've created this beast and we can't stop it now. It's not built for nuance. It's not built for dialogue. It's built for black or white Mm -hmm. with us or against us. I think there's, yeah, I think there's truth to that. And there's almost like this pressure that you have to pick a side. So at the same time, it's also a benefit. You mentioned the validation. So for someone, it might be an opportunity to share something and be genuine and then feel validated or feel supported, but there has to be a balance to it of not relying on such a platform for validation and then get sucked into this is my persona, whether it's through Twitter or Instagram or whatever it is, it's not real. Mm -hmm. So not being dependent on that, not getting pulled into that. And this whole polarizing thing of this pressure to, we need to have an opinion one way or another. And my reply to that is, who said? There's, <laughs> yeah. Who said? There's so many factors that go into something. You make one little statement and, and it's taken to, to be a hard line in the sand. There's so much nuance in the world. We need to, we need to embrace the gray. Well, and, and these platforms are not designed for that. And the, the way to embrace the gray is to, you know, to have a conversation with somebody about something. And What's that? You know, <laughs> right that's what we do and it's it's uh it's tough because what what i think sometimes can happen is the conversation gets shut down before it starts because you know we we like to be around people who have similar opinions to us and uh certainly on social media what tends to happen is people create their own uh you know echo chambers where the only people that are on their friend lists are the people who have the exact same or similar opinions to them. And they kind of call out the folks who don't have those opinions. And then when you keep hearing the same things over and over again, your opinions get stronger and stronger and more solidified and more extreme. And you become uh, less interested in hearing differing opinions, which is uh, tough because none of us know. The, The bottom line is none of us know. If you think you know, and you're 100% sure that you've got it right, you are absolutely leaving out something. Because even the best conceptualization of something is still a conceptualization. It doesn't really match reality. Exactly. And even if I do know, even if I do know, do I need to be validated by everyone else out there that I know? If I really do know, then maybe I should just be comfortable that I know. Right? Right. And... Again, I hope people aren't taking this as like we're naysayers that, you know, social media is is a bad thing. It's not inherently a bad thing. As with everything, there's balance. There's having a good, healthy relationship with it. As the quote goes, and I think there's disagreement on who said it, but with great power comes great responsibility. And I think it's true with every tool that is put out there. There's pros to it. There's cons to it. And we have to decide, is it helpful for us? Does it work for us? How do we want to manage it? I know we do not cover everything that has to do with social media. I don't know if you have any parting thoughts 
about social media? I mean, just just the kind of what you said. I think with anything, uh, it's neither good or bad in, inherently. It's just really paying attention to, you know, as you're clicking on the app to open it, am I doing this because I want to or am I doing this out of habit? And does it really fit into the lifestyle that I really want to be living? And if the answer to that question is yes, then keep scrolling. If the answer is no, I'm doing this out of a habit, then that might be something to take a look at. I like that. That's a great thought to end. So I hope people enjoyed. And if you do enjoy and and find this podcast useful, please take a moment and review it, rate it, subscribe, tell your friends about it on social media. I'm kidding. On social media, off social media, whatever it is, we hope that this is something that was meaningful to you. And thank you for joining us. Thanks, everybody.